Welcome to Relate Your Research, the online podcast featuring social work researchers. I'm Jessica Renarsson, and learning should be relatable. Welcome. This is Relate Your Research, a social work podcast which seeks to provide a platform for researchers to convey their research, the lessons learned and their journeys along the way to others in an accessible and easy to reach platform. I have on the line with me today a guest which I've been really excited about having on on the podcast, Abigail Ornelis, a postdoctoral fellow from Stellenbosch University and a social work researcher who has had a really interesting and inspiring journey. We're going to be hosting two episodes, actually. So if you enjoy hearing her story, please look out for our next episode where we'll be diving into her research interests and more specifically, her doctoral research project. Welcome, Abigail. It's really nice to have you on the podcast. Yeah. Thanks, Jess. So it's always great to start off um, a podcast like this by asking a little bit of a background story into your journey. Um, would you mm. maybe be able to start your story for us by telling us how you started to found your interest in studying social work? Sure. So my interest in social work goes all the way back to my childhood, actually, um, because myself and my twin brother, we were in foster care um, as children. Um, and, and we were then adopted at the age of five. And a lot of that process involved a social worker or multiple social workers. And so I always had an interest in this profession because it had such a profound impact on my life and gave me an opportunity. So it's always been something that I've, I've thought has real impacts on people's lives. I think it's always really inspiring to hear how far back a story like that goes. Um, and I'm sure there are many listeners and other social workers who are also nodding their heads going, yes, for me too. You know, there was this moment when we realized we wanted to be yeah. a part of something that helped. So that's really cool. Yes, it feels really practical and hands-on, you know, like that there was a real ability to make an impact. Definitely, definitely. And have you always wanted to kind of go the research route because it's somewhat of an unusual career path for many social workers in some ways? I think research is one of those things where people start eyes sometimes glaze over just a little, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, to be honest, when I started studying social work, I didn't really know that the research route was an option. Um, I'd, I always loved writing and I've always enjoyed that kind of process, but in the beginning, I, I was planning on being a frontline social worker working in an NGO. Um, and it was only in my fourth year when we did that mini thesis that I kind of discovered research and discovered its role in social work. And I, I, I fell in love, to be honest. Um, and I realized that this is, this is what I want to do. But even at that point, I didn't know how many options there were or whether this was a path that I could travel within social work or if I would need to move outside of the profession. Um, but it's been amazing to see just how rich the social work research world actually is. Mm, absolutely. I think even just with my few weeks of discovering how many people are interested in a podcast um, and shout out mm. to all the, all the listeners right now, because it's quite incredible <laughs> what can happen in a, um, in a platform where social, work, where social work content matters to social workers. I think it's really exciting. Were there opportunities that guided you along this process? Are there things that if you look back, you're like, wow, that was really um, like a, 
a milestone in in becoming a researcher? There were one or two. Um, and the first one at the time, I didn't know that that this was kind of a turning point for me. But I was in my second year of social work studies, and I was feeling quite disheartened. I, I come into the um, at university feeling really excited, um, as we all do. You know that kind of pink cloud of like, this is going to be amazing. I'm going to change everyone's lives. Um, and I was I was starting to see the reality of it and the red tape, and I was, I was starting to feel quite disheartened by it. And also just by the general attitude towards social workers in the public. And I remember going to Professor Engelbrecht, um, our, one of our lecturers at the time, going to his office and I was crying and saying to him, I think I need to quit this program because I, it just doesn't feel like it has the impact or the ability that I thought it did. Um, and he sat me down and he said, Abby, social work is a lot more rich and diverse than you realize. Um, in your second year, you might not yet be able to see the many options that you have and the, what you can do with this profession. Just stick it out and I promise you that there will be so many opportunities for impact if you later on. Um, and so I did, and that was really encouraging for me. And then the, the point where I kind of decided that research was, was where I wanted to go was in my fourth year. We, at Stellenbosch University, we are placed um, at different organizations or areas for practice education. And I was at a hospital and I was working in the psychiatric ward. And I was beginning to be quite frustrated by what seemed like red tape to me and a, and a revolving door where mental health service users were coming in and out. And I was, it felt like my hands were tied in terms of what I was able to do. And I was struggling to understand why this was the case. Um, and I started to look into South Africa's mental health policy and particularly the policy of deinstitutionalization, which is where mental health institutions were being shut down or being shifted over to community-based services. And this was something that was quite new for me. I'd never really looked at the broader sort of policy that was guiding what social workers were doing. Um, and policy that was essentially almost outside of social work, but still very much affected how we could do our jobs and the services that we could give to the community. And when I started to look at this um, and research it further, that's when I started to read up on what other social workers have been writing, both locally and internationally. And it was like this world opened up to me of the fact that as social workers, we can actually have a say in policy and we can critique it. And this, I don't know why, maybe it was unique to me, but this is something that I, I hadn't realized up until that point. And so at that, at that point, I kind of I fell in love and speaking to, research, to researchers and to social workers in the mental health field while I was doing my um, honours mini thesis, um, I just, I saw that there was a gap there, that there was a gap in terms of social workers being able to, to influence policy from a, from a more macro scale. Yeah, and just the role of advocacy in that because there often aren't... Mm. Um, voices for for these people for the mental health um, sector but there are so many sectors actually that are, are within the social work realm that just don't always have a, a voice in that way so that's really exciting exactly and also front frontline social workers I mean they are so um, overwhelmed by, by what they have to do they, they don't have the time um, and they're just trying to kind of get through the day um, and in the beginning, 
there was a part of me that wondered if by moving into research, I had somehow sold out or taken the easier route. Um, and there was a lot of guilt there for me, you know, because I wasn't on the front line and I was going to talk to these social workers who were really in the thick of it and really doing the hard work. Um, and I had to grapple with that for quite a while of, of whether I was making the right decision. But I realized that there needs to be people within the profession that are working at different levels in order to, they, they need to complement each other and support each other. Absolutely. Um, and so, yeah, I've come to accept that, that that is my where my strength is and that that's okay, that that is also social work. Definitely. I think there's just so much that can be said for finding, like you say, your strength and, and your space and your niche, actually. Um, and to say, well, I do this particularly well and it can also filter down and up in various ways. So, yeah, I think also looking at 21st century social work it was like we're never going to only be one thing to the, to the profession. So that's also exciting um, for the future of social work, actually, is to say, well, research is a career path and it's not selling out. It's just finding your contribution towards the sector. Yes, and it's, and it's bringing the voices of social work as a profession into the macro scale and into the policy space, um, which... I've been quite surprised as a researcher when I've um, started to work on projects, broader policy projects, things like the National Plan of Action for Children, or there's projects like linking the child support grant to additional services, and the lack of social workers in those spaces in terms of working on that policy um, with our skills and expertise, it really surprised me that those policies would be made by different professions or by people who maybe their strength was in M&E or economics, but there was a lack of, of social representation there. How do people respond when you tell them, I'm a researcher, to this idea of this is my career path? <laughs> Mostly people respond with, well, when are you going to stop studying and get a real job? Um, which I then have to explain, well, this, is, <laughs> this is my job. Yes. <laughs> this is what I do. Welcome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and also surprisingly, that kind of sellouts, that sellout narrative is, is very prominent. It's not just in social work and academia in general. It's kind of, well, so you are sort of sitting around in an office in front of your computer and writing about things while people are out there in the real world doing the hard work. So, and, and also I found a level of confusion. So I say, you know, I'm a researcher and they go, okay, a researcher in, in what? What do you mean? And I say social policy, social work, and there's still, there's sort of this like, vague look in their faces and then they kind of go, yes. okay, okay. And then the conversation moves over. It's not really a, um, it's not really a well-known kind of professional avenue or stream of work at the moment. Yeah. I think that's really what's exciting about having conversations like this because all of a sudden it almost normalizes it. And um, globally there is this huge community of researchers, um, people who are, dedicating their life's work but also seasons of their life's work to research and I think it's really exciting that South African researchers can also join that community and be a part of those discussions. Yeah and the more that I've gotten into this research space the more I've found ironically and I've found social workers in there um, but they are often just referred to they use different titles maybe 
but but there there are a lot of amazing social work researchers doing things in South Africa. Absolutely. What are some of your successes and achievements along the way? I've been privileged to to watch a few through social media as time has gone on, but maybe you can share with us, um, (laughs) yeah, a little bit about about the highlights, I suppose. Yeah. Sure. I think the the biggest highlight for me was a project that I worked on with Stellenbosch University. This was after my master's. Um, It was a Murray Curry funded project where basically social workers from 11 countries um, across the EU and non-EU context were working on a project together to look at the impact of economic policy, particularly neoliberal policy, on social work globally and on civil society globally. This was, for me, a massive project. I had very little idea or understanding of a lot of the terms that were being used when I first started out. Um, When I went for the interview, they were talking about neoliberalism, and and I'm embarrassed to admit that I had to go home and Google that word because I was like, I don't. I was just going to say, can we Google this? At at what point do we get to Google this? I was like, I don't know what this means. Um, But so when I got onto that project, what I was able to do was for about two and a half years, I traveled to these different countries on behalf of Stellenbosch. And I lived and worked with social work academic teams in these different countries. And it was incredible for me. Firstly, it, it, it opened up the world of global social work. Um, and, but it also just showed just how amazing the profession is and how much is, is happening. And, and globally, how social workers in in other countries are involved in advocacy and and resistance um and policy formation and it was it was really exciting for me and inspiring absolutely oh i mean how cool it's like the the research rock star life of of meeting the globe you know of of the people that are doing this work all over did you ever have a moment of not being able to communicate effectively because you were all in different languages? I mean, definitely there were times that it was a struggle. In the beginning, I was, you know, that super keen person who was insisting that I would learn the language of every country that I was going to. Yes. And eventually, I mean... <laughs> Fairly ambitious. Yeah. Um, and eventually, I mean, at one point, I was moving every six to eight weeks. So I just kind of gave up. I was like, it's not possible. <laughs> but um, but the social workers in each country were just incredible and very welcoming. And because it was an exchange, often there were other social workers from other countries all together at one point. So we'd all be, for example, in Russia, there'd be maybe 10 countries represented. And then um, English was the medium that was used for that. So it was it was okay. It wasn't too challenging. There is a common language in social work I found globally. There's a way that we speak that is that's the same in every country. Oh, I like that. Should be a quote at some point. Um, what are some of the challenges that you experienced along the way? Um, it can be with this particular project or maybe just over over your time as discovering your role as a researcher. Well, with this particular project, the challenges were more personal for me. It was as much as it was incredible and and um, I got to see so much and learn so much. It was very lonely. I was often on my own and I was living out of a suitcase for about two and a half years. I lived out of a suitcase. So there were times when I, I felt very disconnected, even though I was doing this kind of work, which was very much connecting with people across the world. There were times when I felt very isolated. 
um, and it was it was challenging in that regard. In terms of generally, I think the challenge has been for me not losing hope when it comes to to red tape. So especially when you're working on the macro scale and in policy and you're confronted with the hard realities that frontline social workers are facing every day, it can be quite easy to get overwhelmed and depressed, to be honest. Sometimes it can just sort of feel like, well, what are we even doing? Is this going to work? I mean, as frontline social workers, we'll say pretty grim situations sometimes, and it can be disheartening. Um, so that has been challenging for me to to find ways to maintain my inspiration, to remind myself why I'm a social worker, why I do this. And, and then also to focus on the success stories to show that things can change and people do make an impact. Absolutely. Do you have any stories like that of success stories where people have come back and said, we read this of yours and, you know, here's some change? One success story has been working very recently. I've done work with a, an incredible NGO, which, um, which some South African social workers will probably know called Black Sash. And they have been working on, so to set context recently, SASA has decommissioned a lot of their grant pay points, which means that a lot of the sort of more local pay points, especially in rural areas, um, pay points have been moved to post offices or to ATMs or to select spas or retailers. And this has meant that for a lot of beneficiaries, particularly in rural areas, their ability to access their grants, it's, it's, without, it's outside of the five kilometer radius. It's, they have to travel incredibly far distances and dangerous distances often. And there's just a lot of challenges that they are experiencing. And Black Sash is doing incredible work to bring this to the attention of government and to say this is not okay. And you, and then constitutionally, you need to put have certain things in place. And they're basically the rights of beneficiaries are being violated. And I was able to be involved in that project in terms of field work to go out and interview beneficiaries and ask them the ch- about the challenges they were facing. And usually, with that kind of work. It can be disheartening because you, there's so much red tape. You don't know if the what you recommend is ever going to actually make it to the people who can make a difference. But Black Sash has been so incredibly active, and they've they've they are constantly the work that they do sees results. Um, and that for me was really encouraging to be a part of an organisation like that, where I could see that they were actively making changes. And, um, and succeeding in having SASA go, okay, we will concede to X, Y, and Z and, and bringing it to the attention of the public. Um, that for me was really encouraging. So that it might not be social work specific, but again, that is where social workers should be involved. Totally. Well, and it matters because we're putting people at risk and those people have children. <laughs> and, mm. you know, the, the domino effect of if these kids aren't receiving their funding um, mm. for various reasons, they're not going to be eating that month. So, exactly. I mean, maybe it's a, a little dramatic, but yes, it it still stands that if we're not creating these mouthpieces for communities, mm. then a lot of injustice can can actually go on. That's so encouraging and really just inspiring to hear that there is this platform that 
NGOs are taking an active role in communicating the needs of, of people. Um, are there any research outputs that you would like to link um, any of our listeners to if they are interested in, in this project? I can, yes. There's quite a few things that Blackstash has published on, on their work. It's still ongoing, but there, there's, I will add, um, I'll send you something that, that readers can look at to see Brilliant. the work that they're doing. Great, thank you. So we'll put that in the show notes and um, you can get some links to Blacksash and some of the work that, that has been released as a result of that project. Thank you. So there is something that I wanted to bring up and you've actually already touched on it um, briefly in the beginning of our time together. Um, and I know that mental health is quite a significant topic for you. Um, what are your thoughts or things you'd maybe like to share with some of our listeners to relate as new researchers or students, even social workers in the field related to mental health? So I can share in terms of from a professional point of view and then also personally. So personally, mental health is really is is really important to me because um, in terms of my childhood, the reason that we had to go into foster care and adoption was because my biological mom was was suffering from mental illness. Um, and at that time, there weren't a lot of services for her. And as a result, she was not able to take care of us. So it was always something that was very close to my heart in terms of understanding it and, and, and increasing service accessibility for people who, who grapple with mental health. And I myself have, have challenges in terms of, I, I, I suffer from depression and, um, and panic disorder. And I found that quite challenging, um, especially for example, when I was traveling on my own to learn how to deal with that. Um, and there's still, even within the social work circles, there's still a lot of shame when it comes to talking about our personal mental health challenges. Um, and I found that social workers try and, and very much come across as, as completely okay and held together all the time. And I, so I think from a personal point of view, I would encourage social workers to be more open about their mental health challenges because it's a very much a, a reality in this day and age. Um, and, and then also to just, in becoming more open about it themselves, it will make them more relatable in terms of service users because even service users within child and family welfare or within various different areas, mental health is a common factor in all these areas. It, it comes up. Um, and so I think just making it more of a focus and opening up space for mental health, both personally and professionally, I think is really important. Absolutely. Like to, in many ways, remove the stigma, but also make it okay to tackle these challenges not um, fear them actually and to say well this is a very real reality for our staff this is a real reality for us as as people or as family members and just to make the conversation a lot more free I think brings a lot of hope to people very much so I mean I would even go so far as to say that if if mental health and 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 caring for your mental health could be incorporated into supervision. I think it would go a long way to help social workers because the job of social workers is incredibly hard and it can be very draining. And a lot of social workers experience burnout. And I don't often think that mental health, it's not stressed enough in the, in the profession, you know, to care for yourself and how to care for yourself mentally and that it's okay to experience challenges in this area. And it's quite normal, especially with the job that we have. 
You took the words right out of my mouth. I was just about to say, I think supervision could be such a great platform for that. And it's often not given the airtime it deserves um, because the tick boxes need to be ticked. And I think it's very sad to to hear of so many people in supervision or lacking supervision that ha need a space to speak about mental health. So, yeah, I'm really glad you raised that. Thank you for sharing so honestly about that. <laughs> and um, in terms of your future plans, your research goals, anything on the horizon that you would like to share with us? Yes. Yeah, so um, this kind of goes back to what I was talking about earlier in terms of me grappling with this decision to be a researcher. So I had to really sit down with this decision this year because my postdoc is coming to an end. And so that <laughs> I'm finally stopping studying. <laughs> and so while I have been consulting and working on projects on the side, very much I've been, it's been contained within the academic field and within Stellenbosch um, for 10 years almost, which is crazy. So I've been quite frightened by the fact that it's coming to an end and like sort of not really sure what my next step should be. Should I go into frontline social work? Is it now time? Should I continue with research? And so I've, I've sat down with a lot of people mentors, um, friends, family, and ask them their opinions and what they think. And I've, I've finally made peace with the fact that research is my love and, and it's where I want to be and it's where I believe I can, I can have impact. So I've decided to, to branch out as a consultant full-time and my hope in the long run, I started a consultancy with a friend of mine and my hope in the long run is to be able to to really bring social work into the forefront of policy formation and um, to raise that social work voice and then, and hopefully then raise the voices of frontline social workers. Yeah, just to expand that space. That's, that's my hope in the future. That's amazing. Well, I'm really inspired and it's really encouraging to hear, <laughs> yeah, just the, the vision that you have for building more than, more than a degree, but um, really a career path. And lastly, before we end, is there any advice that you have for researchers starting out in their postgrad studies? In our first um, pilot, we had a number of students tuning in from various universities. So I am very aware that there's a need to ask this question. Sure. So the advice that I have is that in frontline social work, we have supervision and it's such an important part of the profession. But often in research and academia, there isn't that. And I think it's incredibly important for young researchers and researchers who are starting out to find a mentor, to find someone who's a little further ahead um, than you are or who's gone a little ways down the road and who's able to, to guide you and mentor you. You're not expected to know everything. The research world is a complex. It's complex. Um, and you grow and you learn and it takes time. Um, and I think my my biggest blessing and strength has been having a long-term mentor who's guided me through this process. And I think that that is lacking in social work academia. So I encourage young social work researchers to find, identify someone and even approach them directly and say, you know, are you open to mentoring me? Um, it's such an important, important part of research and in terms of your first publications, in terms of knowing simple things like where to publish, um, Things that I didn't know, for example, that you should maybe be publishing across various streams, but try and, and make your work consistent or make it towards one particular 
areas that you become an expert in that area. Those kind of things I didn't, I didn't know. And in the beginning, I was jumping all over the place and didn't understand that this could actually reduce the impact of my research in the long run. So I just, I think having a mentor is incredibly important. That's, that's the encouragement that I would give. And also, I would say to not be afraid to branch out. It might now sound like I'm contradicting myself, but in terms of your expertise, social work is broad. Um, and so explore and be brave in terms of deciding the stream that you want to focus on um, and don't limit yourself. You know, there's, social workers can have a voice often in a lot more than I think mm, we realize. Absolutely. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for taking time out of your day to speak with us. And I will sure, um, thanks, put the links below and we'll um, catch you in our next episode. That was our first research feature here on Relate Your Research. If you have a story or a research background and would like to be featured on our podcast, please get in touch with us through the links below. Also, if you enjoyed this podcast, leave us a like, hit subscribe, join one of our mailing lists. We would love to stay in touch and we can improve the reach of the podcast. I'm Jessica Renarsson and research should be relatable.